I'm so glad you came No judgments here, we're all the same What's up, everybody, and welcome, as always, to On GP Podcast with me, your host, Ronnie. And, well, first, I, I want to give a shout-out to my DJ, DJ Cold Cut. So I always tell you, Cold, literally, DJ Cold Cut. <laughs> Thanks for the mix, man. I appreciate you. Um, today, 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 we are talking about uh, some things in education, and I have some very special guests with me today. I have, as you can see right here in the studio with me to, to my left, probably to your right, I have Paquita and she is an educator, a teacher right here in the city of Cleveland. And I also have a, a very special guest all the way from out of town in Philly. Her name is Shana. What's up, Shana? I said, let me unmute. How you guys doing out there? Good. How about you? I'm good. I'm good. Excited to be here. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. So as you guys can see on the bottom of the screen, call and join the conversation at 234-208-6304. Call in and join the conversation with us. And um, uh, briefly before I get started, I'm going to let these ladies tell you just real briefly um, uh, what they do and organizations organizations that they work for. So we're going to start with Paquita. Good evening, everyone. I am Paquita Hansberry. I'm an educator here in the city of Cleveland at a private school. I teach middle school social studies. That's the sixth, seventh, and eighth graders. You know that bunch. <laughs> <laughs> That's the one. Those are mine. Right. Um. I am a first-year teacher, even at this this age. I am a first-year teacher, but it's so far so good. So far so good. That's good. That's good. So so real quick, just just a question: Have you had to paddle somebody yet? No. Good. Have I wanted to? Uh, well, I, <laughs> see, I ain't asked that question because I already know the answer. Okay. I already know. <laughs> Shayna, tell us about yourself. <laughs> Yeah, we got to come back to that paddling. I'm like, paddling? Y'all beating on the kid. <laughs> so my name is Shana Terrell. I am an educator activist. Um, I work for the Center for Black Educator Development. I am the director of Pipeline Program. Um, I have been in education um, now for a long time, but work with at-risk youth going on um, 
about 19 years now. I worked in nonprofit for a while and then got into actual school-based education and was an administrator for about uh, 13 years. Um, we launched the center in um, 2019. So I've been in this role ever since. Um, I do a number of things for the center. Uh, my organization is focused on the recruitment, um, the retention, the training and hiring of black teachers. So we are trying to rebuild the black teacher pipeline um, is really what our goal is. And we combine four pillars to kind of do that, which is pipeline, um, pedagogy, policy, um, and professional learning. We want all of those to work together to help us rebuild the Black Teacher Pipeline. I also host um, a live stream podcast as well every Thursday at 12 o'clock called Rebuilding the Black Educator Pipeline um, on Citizens Ed TV. Um, so in general, that's just um, the work that I do. Okay, that's what's up. And and you all heard her, so check out her, her live streaming podcast as well. Um, I'm going to allow her to give that information again at the end of this show. So without further ado, but remember again, call in and join the conversation. If you have any questions, comments, call in at 234-208-6304. We want to hear from you. Join this conversation. So we're going to get started here. And first, I just want to say some things before I get to the questions. By kindergarten, Research indicates that low income and black children are more likely to have adverse experiences than their white and more wealthy peers. Can you believe that? Now, racial discrimination and segregated housing are just two factors that increase the likelihood of black children having a negative uh, childhood experience when they are young. Now, a child's negative childhood experience do not guarantee that he or she will attend college. Individuals with higher negative childhood experiences are more susceptible to viral infections, are more likely to develop, to develop respiratory infections, and also are more likely to become pregnant as teenagers, believe it or not. Now, various forces in um, um, K through 12, in the K through 12 system, place obstacles in the way of non-white students. Now, what happens in K through 12 can have a long-term impact on a student's perception of education. Minority students um, educate minority edu minority students' educational experiences have remained largely largely segregated and unequal. Now, two uh, uh, two-thirds of minority students continue to attend predominantly minority schools the majority of which are located in the inner city and receive far less funding than their suburban counterparts. And I'll relate that from, you know, for example, Cleveland, Solon, you know. Now, some people are uh, conditioned to say some things like, I don't see color. And they say those things in order to avoid talking about racism in our schools. Okay? So, just by hearing that is very disturbing. It's not something that we don't know, I feel. I think we know these things. And I think all three of us um, right now on, on this panel, I, I believe that we all see it as well. And I know our parents see it and notice it. So I'm going to jump straight to it. Now, one suburban school here 
in Cleveland, adverted to remote learning recently. And it had nothing to do with the pandemic or anything like that. It was because of fighting and threats of violence, according to multiple news outlets. Um, the school is predominantly black students. Now, I'm going to start with you, Shana. Talk to us about the challenges our students face during this, this uh, pandemic, um, in addition to everything else that, that they, they deal with on a daily um, I think the pandemic has just increased stress for a lot of our young people. I think a lot of our young people are up against a lot. And I think a lot of times when we're talking about these issues amongst poor black people, folks in general, mental health is not taken into account. So when you think about all the things that have happened, um, all the conditions that the pandemic has created for, for young people, the isolation from peers, um, just their whole world turned upside down talking about everything that they know switched in a matter of weeks, right? When we all got put on lockdown and how that process was coming out of lockdown. That's a lot of stress for young people. Right. Adolescence in itself is a lot to navigate, right? So as sister was saying, she has our sixth, seventh, and eighth graders, right? So that's a bunch, right? They're out here trying to find themselves. Right. So imagine trying to find yourself um, and trying to discover who you are and doing all of that with a national pandemic going on. Then think about some of them have been in school for up to, what, two years? So if I'm in middle school and I'm coming into high school, I, I haven't, if I'm an eighth grader, I haven't been in school since eighth grade. And now I'm coming back into high school as a, a, what, a sophomore trying to figure things out. I haven't even been introduced um, to the systems and the way things are. The rigor is different. The work is different. The social aspect is different. The expectations and what's expected of me as a young person, all of that is, is completely different. And I don't think that we are giving our young people enough uh support or thought we're trying to like move on as hey this is how things have always been this is how things were like come on we got to get with it we got to move right. where i think we need to give our young people time to stop pause and think um the other thing i want to point out is that with covid happening it gave folks the opportunity to really blow up education right to mm -hmm. change social structures as they have been so some of the things that we're seeing that we are blaming on our young people um it's us. It's the system. It's adults. We are carrying on with the same traditional education systems that have worked in the past, but we're dealing with a new breed of young people. I'm um, going to need to switch things up to build in more supports for them. Um, even at the beginning of the show, you quoted some data about the challenges that our young people face. But one of the, the pieces of research that our organization thrives off of is the, the things that will help young people. And one of them is Black teachers. Um, there's some research that came from a couple of researchers, one namely Dr. Constance Lindsay, that lets us know that if a child has at least one to two black teachers between the grades of three to five, um, they're more likely to graduate from college. And for low-income black boys, they're less likely to, to drop out of school. So having more black teachers tells us that that change circumstances greatly for our young people. So just that alone, just having more black qualified teachers in front of young black people could greatly change their circumstances. We also know it lowers the number of suspensions. Um, it lowers the, the that whole prison the pipeline feel that kids have when they go to school. Tons of it just by having a black teacher in front of them. So shout out to all my black teachers um, out there. <laughs> Amen to that. Amen to that. Um, OK, Quita, what's your take on that? Well, you know what? The pandemic brought to the forefront a lot of things. 
it brought to the forefront all the things that the schools were missing. Like she said, we were working in a system that was outdated. So they, so here comes the pandemic, and now everybody has to go home, and now we have to go virtual. These students didn't have computers. They didn't have internet. Mm-hmm. And now yeah. the schools are scrambling, trying to get everybody a computer, trying to get everybody the internet. And because the kids didn't really work on the computers regularly in school, mm-hmm. a lot of them didn't even know how to use them. Right. And then you mm-hmm. got parents at home who didn't know how to use them. Yeah. So now you got kids trying to log on, kids trying to do work, all of that on, on a system that nobody knows how to use. Mm-hmm. And then you come back to school this year and nothing's really changed. Yeah. We've gone right back to the old way of doing things. Mm-hmm. Everything is back, paper and pencil. It's all a packet. It's all, let's print this and do mm-hmm. this, do that. They didn't even, They there has not been a lot of change. Right. I right. mean, we should be, our level of technology and, and I want to say, is so far behind. And we could have made great strides, used the pandemic to make the great strides, but it didn't happen. Right. It's not happening. What were you going to say, Shana? And Queen, I didn't want to interrupt you. I was just going to say, but what, what, what Queen is describing, that's also very true for one population of children, right? Mm-hmm. That's not happening everywhere. Um, Packets, paper and pens, no um, access to technology. That's not... Ha- Some schools didn't skip a beat when the pandemic hit because they're in schools with, with iPads, uh, MacBooks, and that's how teachers are doing education. They're doing online. They're in the 21st century. So that story isn't, isn't true for everybody. And the reason why I'm saying that is because we need to be very clear on the intentionality of what's happening to young black poor people um, within our education system. Absolutely. And, and just to piggyback on what both of you ladies said, I, I do know that in, in our, our, our black students' counterparts, they are prepared, as you, guys, as you just said. Um, and they've been prepared. It's kind of like a, a company already who had uh, a crisis plan in, in place already. Right. You know, we don't have a crisis plan for our students, but those schools in the suburbs who are predominantly whites and things like that, they were already prepared because they had a crisis plan. They know if something happens, their kids have the technology, they have access to internet and things like that to be able to continue to work and do the things that they need to do. And also those things like as far as um, because the kids are using Google Classroom a lot now. Right. They were introduced yeah. to that at a very young age. So that way they knew how to navigate yeah. through it and learn how to use Google Classroom. Whereas our students are yeah, like, uh, it's foreign to them. What is Google Classroom? So now our teachers have to teach them what is Google Classroom and teach them how to navigate through Google Classroom and then turn around and try to teach. So that that is a very tough situation along with being out of school and working, re- I mean, bo- attending school remotely, you know, based on uh, the pandemic and, and, and things like that. So I, I think that it's very clear that something needs to be done, you know, and not wait for another pandemic or another crisis to happen before we can do what we need to do. So I, I just want to say at, at this at this same school, it was reported that students were using TikTok for a challenge to hit teachers. Isn't that something? Yeah. They were using TikTok for a challenge to hit teachers. And earlier this year, there was another TikTok t- challenge 
uh, for those students to steal things from the school. Now, I'm going to start with you, Paquita. Tell us what you think is needed to combat these issues that appear to start on social mediums. Well, it actually starts at home. Mm-hmm. It starts at home. If the parents, take for instance my kids. Mm-hmm. My kids knew that kind of foolishness wasn't going to happen. Right. So parents who support the school, support the teachers, support their students, those students knew mm-hmm. I'm not doing none of this. Because if I do and it gets back to home, it's going to be all bad. Mm-hmm. But for nowadays, kids are out there just doing whatever. Right, right. They doing whatever. And parents are like, well, did you see them do it? Yeah. You know, yeah. did you, you know, were you there? But I didn't have to be there. If you came and told me that one of my kids did it, then I'm, I'll work with her at home about it and mm-hmm. we'll fix the problems. But you don't have that kind of support anymore. It, the biggest thing is the support from home right. and for the kids to know what the repercussions of these kind of actions are. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't they don't know what it's going to cost if you go into the bathrooms and you stop up all of the toilets. Right. You know, when that plumbing bill comes, send it home. Right. Send it home. That might get you some support from home. Yeah, I, but I it's, agree. it's home. It all starts at home. That's 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 a good way, I think, to combat some of these social issues that we're dealing with. Respond to that, Shane. I think that social media is just a wave and has my control over not just kids, uh, but adults. And I think that kids sometimes don't consider the consequences. Like that's just a, another adolescent behavior, right? Like their frontal lobe is not fully developed. So they don't think through the consequences all the way. Um, I think that parents as well as schools have to be a little bit more proactive in combating these things when we see that they're coming up. Number one, we need to take into account who's starting these these challenges, right? It's people who have the luxury of being able to destroy stuff um, and their parents can pay for a, a, a new trash can, a new toilet bowl, a new exit sign in their school. They have the luxury of doing that. Um, it's also kids who generally don't get prosecuted for things like that as a crime. Um, and our children don't always look at their positionality and who they are in the world and how the world see the, sees them and how school sees them. And sometimes that's as criminals. Um, so sometimes having those conversations with our children at home, I agree, and grounding our children in, there is a different standard set for you. I'm sorry you don't get to just be a kid who makes a mistake um, because in, in general, that's what it is, is a mistake. Um, I have somebody to process what that is and what the consequences are for you. We don't get second chances. Mm-hmm. Um, I also think that school Schools can become a place to foster positive culture where those kind of things don't leak into your school building, right? Like we know it's a TikTok challenge out there where kids are destroying schools um, or thinking they're going to put their hands on some adults. But if our school community fosters, we're like, that's just not how we behave here. It's unacceptable. Um, Or that kind of behavior is foolish when you create that culture from the from the ground up with your students. um, And as a school community, I think that it reduces those type of behaviors or those type of things from happening. Mm-hmm. Now I've seen, you know, I, I know this is a bit different from what, what we're talking about, but I've seen on the news recently, I can't remember what state it was in, but there was uh, an organization that was started. It was called Dads on Duty. Oh, yes. And, yeah. yeah. And, and just looking at that, it really inspired me to, now I have a, a mentorship program for young men, but it inspired me 
to challenge our African-American fathers as myself, you know, to kind of step up and, and kind of uh, uh, be, I guess, that, that portal to push our kids through where they need to go, you know, to be that, that extra line of defense for our educators, for our, especially our black educators, because our black educators go through the same thing, have been through the same thing, at least, that our, our young black kids have been through. You know, they probably came up in the same type of environment. They probably come from the same type of uh, uh, inner city school and things like that. And fortunate enough that they have made it out, yeah. you know, so they, they do relate and understand what it is that our kids are going through. However, it still don't mean that it's not a challenge for our educators, you know, to have to combat that and fight that in school to make sure that our kids stay on the right track, you know. So I, I, this leads to my next question, and I'm going to start with you on this, Shana. You know, tell us what is needed for our teachers to be successful in the classroom. I appreciate you starting with me, but what's funny is Quita will probably be able to best answer that question. And I'm saying that because part of finding out what teachers need is to ask teachers what it is they need and the support they need. I think a lot of times we talk in ivory towers about what we think that people need. We really should be talking to the people on the ground about what it is that they need. Um, Aquita is on the front line of the battle right now, right? She is in these classrooms working with our children. Um, I am in the background supporting and fighting to get Quita more help, right? Getting more black teachers um, into schools, um, making sure that teachers are getting proper training and proper support. But definitely the people on the ground know best. And I think that now especially in the time of pandemic like we have seen <laughs> we have not seen anything like this we haven't seen education in this way we haven't seen classrooms we just haven't seen anything like this so i think that there has been a different level of need um for what teachers are asking for i'm also married to an educator my husband is a teacher um so listening to him and talking to him and the things that he needs with being in the classroom we know that research shows us that teachers want more support they want more support and they need more support. And support comes in a myriad of different ways, right? Um, that's not let me get let me do an extra extra observation in your classroom and tell you the things that you aren't doing right, right? That's not what support looks like. Um, support is I may be an administrator, but I might have to take my hat off one day and get up in the classroom and teach a lesson for you or with you um, to help model better practices, right? It means like just really getting down. Um, also, depending on what kind of challenges people are dealing with in districts, right? Um, for black teachers, we know that they look forward to having support in terms of feeling like their races are affirmed and validated. That may look like for affinity groups. For black male educators, we know a lot of the times it's this emotional uh, racial tax that gets put on them as the men in the building, as the black men in the building, um, to connect with all the children who may be having struggles, like all that other great stuff. But teachers are really asking for support. Um, and more resources is what they need. And as far as parents, they want parents to be partners. And I think a lot of times at schools, we place folks, parents and teachers on opposite sides of the ball. Um, like is this struggle? We really need to be working together as a community to support our young people. Absolutely. But I would definitely say, we wanna know what teachers need, ask them. They'll tell you. So, quit it, I'm asking you. Well, she said it, support, <laughs> I mean, and like she said, especially with the parents, it needs to be more of an open door policy with parents and mm -hmm. teachers. So the parents will actually come and see, mm -hmm. come and do, come and be a part of what's going on in the classroom right. so that you can you can be a part of and know what's happening. Mm -hmm. um, the support from the system, from your schools or your administrators, 
um, the training. When the pandemic happened, there were so many teachers, like I said, who had not been using technology. So to set up a Google Classroom and set up all of that work, Mm -hmm. it was all fumbling through trying to figure out how to learn it um, on their own and getting everything put together. So not only is it the support from the parents, you need the support from your system, from your administrators, from your district, from whomever it is that can give you what you need to be able to get the kids what they need. Because at the end of the day, it's not about me, the mm-hmm. parents or the administrators. Mm-hmm. It's all about the kids. Right. And right. I tell the kids all the time, I'm not here for the pay because it's not that great. Mm-hmm. I am here <laughs> for you. What is it that I can do for you? Yeah. And if you need something, you need to... You, Come and tell me. And if I, you know, if I got to go to the principal or to a parent or whatever, because little Johnny needs this extra whatever, Mm -hmm. then that's what I'm doing. Yeah. Yeah. You know, as as a as a former educator myself, I I have been on the front lines as well. And I've witnessed a lot of things that that are needed in the classroom in order for our kids to be successful. And, you know, that that thing is support, first of all, support yeah. from everybody. You know, it should be one cohesive team should be a, tra- a like a train. You know, everybody should be connected at some point, at some way to make that train move. And that train should be the, the, the kid. You know what I mean? The yeah. whole train should be the kid. But um, we have and especially in our community, I think we have so many parents who are being combative against the teacher, you know, rather than being a a better support to the teacher, you know, and it it makes it hard in the class. Mm -hmm. So if you, if you, if the parent is combating the teacher, what do you think the uh, the student is going to do? Combating the teacher. Yeah. It's going to combat the teacher too, you know? So, so let me go back to something that you said, Quita, you said something about, first of all, not being paid enough. Do you think that, that teachers, cause I always thought this leads to, to uh, my, my next question. I always thought that teachers should be paid just like uh, I think educators should be amongst the highest paid professions, you know, in our country. That's that's just me. That's what I think. Um, Do you think, obviously, like I said, some districts um, are paid more than others. But tell us, is it a, a salary thing that affects our teachers from their own development and the development of students? In, in, some cases, in some cases, in some cases, but like I said, I told the kids and I, I tell my husband who thinks I should be making more money. <laughs> I'm not really there for the pay. Right. I'm right. not there for the pay. I'm more there. I'm there for the kids. Mm-hmm. And yeah, the salary is a big deal. And teachers, because without teachers, we have nobody else. Mm-hmm. Um, we have no doctors, no lawyers. No, no school administrators, mm-hmm. no anybody if you don't have a teacher. Right. And right. then the teachers are the lowest paid. Mm-hmm. They're the lowest appreciated. Yeah. But what is what is that saying? It's a thankless job. Mm. Mm. Who so, thanks the teacher? You know, for, for me, I, I always had the mentality. My thanks comes from seeing the students succeed. Exactly. That's what my thanks was. You know, although. We all, I'm sure we all would like to be paid more and things like that. But it, it does take, for me, it takes a very special person to be able to teach and to, to basically um, transform a, a kid's life, you know, even while not being paid what you what you are worth and what you deserve. 
but it, it's unfortunate that somebody has to do it. Right. Somebody has to do yeah. it. I agree. We all know that teachers are not um, paid enough, but there are definitely some misconceptions out there in terms of like recruiting young people into the field. Meaning, like, young people are told that's not a profession to go into. You're not going to make a lot of money. But at the same token, no, you're not going to make a whole bunch of money. It's not a doctor or lawyer's salary, but it's definitely a livable wage in a lot of places. I mean, depending on where you work, some some places on how they uh, service teacher salaries is abysmal. Um, but you can make a really good living um, being a teacher. Um, so those are just some of the myths that when we talk to young people that we try to dispel. The other thing we try to connect teaching to is social justice. So teaching is a revolutionary act. And as black people, we have a long history and tradition of teaching. Um, that is how we educate our communities. That's how we thrive. That's how we keep our communities going um, by teaching the next generation. Um, and the idea of traditional teaching in a profession, I mean, prior to Brown versus Board of Education, that was the profession to be. Like being a teacher was like the it. Right. Like we're going to go to school. You're going to be a school teacher. Um, and of course, the school teachers lived in your neighborhoods. But that was a thriving profession back in the day. So what we try to when we're recruiting people now, we connect teaching to social justice. You talk to a lot of young people. They're interested in giving back into their community. They're interested in finding ways to connect with their community. Um, and a large way to do that is through teaching. One of the things we know is that that profession just isn't introduced to our young black people. A lot of time especially when we think about our young black men who are athletes who want to go into connecting with kids. So they may be pushed the sports realm or the coaching realm or even being mentors, but why not be a teacher? Um, why not do what you love, work with kids and earn a salary doing that? Um, the other thing we talk to young people about is just they want to be involved in social justice. Why not teach? Being a teacher is one of the most powerful professions in the world. Why? Because you have the ability to shape and mold the minds of young people. Like you have the power to do that. So why not teach? So a lot of times that is what we connect teaching to, to social justice. So are you going to be making buku money? No. But right now let's get into the to the realm of advocating for that as far as policy wise. Continue to work to have the backs for our teachers and raise the pay for our teachers. So continue to lobby to raise teachers pay. Um, and the only way we're going to do that again is talking to our council people, state reps, all these people who hold policy decisions um and we need to advocate better in those realms for our teachers our teachers need to make more money yeah and and absolutely and speaking of that as far as uh electing the, the right officials in office voting is tomorrow november yes 2nd. voting is tomorrow so get out and vote that's very important very very important because we can't we can't sit and c continue to complain and say what we have I mean, what we don't have and what we need and things like that, but we don't get out and vote, yeah. you know, because we're being lazy, because we don't have time or we don't think that it's important. You know, the the, the uh, uh, local elections are uh, just as important as the presidential election, yeah. if not more important. You know, it, it, it starts as just like that train, I say, you know, we need the right people in office. And, and that's just the bottom line. So, again, election. Um, um, is tomorrow, so make sure you get out and vote for that. So, according to some articles, black students' grades have failed because of remote learning during this pandemic. So, Shana, talk to us about how you and your organization have has been able to to help out 
in this situation? Um, we've been able to help a few ways, which I'm excited to share. So one of the programs that we have was like, our, it is our flag program is what our organization was launched off of, um, Freedom Schools Literacy Academy. And the premise of Freedom Schools Literacy Academy um, is a teacher apprentice program. So we recruit college students in the summertime to come and work and be leaders in the classroom for rising first through third graders, uh, while we focus heavily on literacy and phonics. We also recruit high school students to come and be assistants inside of the classroom with them. Um, both of them, high school and college students, both get what's called coaches. So we recruit black master teachers to be their apprentice coaches. Um, our college students coaching is really focused on professional learning, professional de development on, um, of course, early teacher uh, fundamental skills, as well as culturally relevant pedagogy. Our high school students also get some of that, but they also have their own programming that they follow. Um, they get a book that they have to read from the summer and it's usually a college level text. Um, we read a book this past summer called uh, We Are African People. The summer before, we read um, W.E.B. Du Bois, um, The Education of Black People. So those are the kind of texts that they're reading. They have to read those texts, and they also have to do some research. And at the end of the summer, they have to present at a symposium on an idea that will impact their community education. Um, but for us, by helping young people kind of get into the fold and feel like they're doing something great in terms of teaching kids in the summer how to read and find skills. Um, that helps us with our recruitment, but that also helps the young people that they're serving. For the last three summers in a row, we've seen major gains um, in literacy as well as phonics by the end of the summer with our, with our students. Some jump in three or four levels in phonics by the end of the summer. Um, this year, we've been asked to respond and support more year round. Um, with, again, some of the challenges that people are facing from remote learning. So we are piloting a tutoring program where we have college students that are going in that we're, again, training like apprentices to teach early literacy skills and phonics to young people. So that's specifically how our organization is responding to the call of the pandemic to support our young people. That's good stuff. That's real good stuff. Um, I don't know. I don't know how big you guys are across the country, but... <laughs> I definitely think that if, if you guys aren't spread across, you know, the United States, I definitely think that you should be, you know. I appreciate that. We are a national organization. So our home base, our like flagship city has been Philadelphia. And that's because um, our CEO and I, Sharif Al-Meki, that's where we've done most of our work. Um, Sharif is a Philadelphia native, uh, born and raised. I'm actually from um, Bronx, New York. Shout out to the South Bronx. Um, but I came to, <laughs> oh, you hear the accent. <laughs> yeah. I yes. Like, I guess, I guess people in Philly speak like that too. <laughs> no, this is me, born and bred, uh, New York native, but I came to Philly to go to, go to school. I went to Temple University, um, graduated from there and stayed and built my career, um, out in Philadelphia, but have been doing great work with the people and the families of Philly. And I enjoyed it. I liked it. It felt, felt a lot like home. New York is a lot bigger, less, a lot more fast-paced, but again, Philly is still a place that has real deep Black roots and Black history and Black revolutionaries are here, so I, I feel at home here. I enjoyed, enjoyed the work here. But we are, are national. Um, so right now we're in Philly. We're also in Camden. We're heading out and going to Detroit, and then we will be having a, what we call a request for a proposal to find out what city. So be on the lookout for our RFP. Okay, okay. We, we we definitely like I said, we, we are, because you guys are a national organization. We certainly can use you 
you all, I'm, I'm sure, right here in Cleveland, Ohio. For yeah. sure. Yeah, I'm for sure. <laughs> so, Quita, so kind of piggyback off of what Shana said, but from your perspective as an educator, as a teacher, you know, what, what can, what can um, tell us about, you know, what you can do to help with the situation, you know, as far as our, our kids' grades failing because of the pandemic? Um, that's that's a hard question because it's it's almost like the kids lost a whole year of school mm-hmm. and it's all showing up now. Mm-hmm. So it's it it all of the the mandato- mandatory testing mm-hmm. that we that we're still taking right. and that we took last year even in a pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, on a state level. I, I I and some other teachers that I've talked to, we think that those need to be put on hold for a couple of years because we need to get our kids caught up mm-hmm. because they are so far behind. I teach, like I said, sixth, seventh and eighth graders who are reading on a third, fourth grade level. Mm-hmm. And so for me to kind of continue their education, but they're so far behind, I'm doing them a disservice because they they've missed almost two years of school. Mm-hmm. So what we need to do is kind of like revamp the whole program mm-hmm. and then move forward to try to get them at least caught up mm-hmm. and then move them forward. But until then, it's just it's just going to be just pushing them along because that's all they did last year was just push them along. Yeah. yeah, yeah. They just pushed everybody along. It didn't matter what their grades were. Yeah. And you know, I don't, I'm sorry, I don't, I don't want to say failed, you know, I shouldn't say failed, I should say received low grades. You know, low grades, not not failing grades, but low grades. You know, yeah, that's that's what I was taught grades. to say. <laughs> they were failing grades. So how can um how can uh educators assist people in uh questioning their perceptions of African Americans, you know, and in, in, in schools? The, we just have to show them. Mm-hmm. It's one of those things I can show you better than I can tell you. Show them who we are. Show them what we are. Show them what we're capable of. Um, show them what the kids are capable of. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and people have these these bad images of African Americans. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you show them that you have top notch black educators, mm-hmm. top notch black children. Mm-hmm. Um, and top-notch support from parents and just, I mean, it's, it's all about showing them. Let's yeah. just show you what, what we can do. Okay. And, you know, we just had a, a comment from uh, a viewer. They just said that that state we shouldn't have state testing. That is unfair, you know, especially now because um, some schools were virtual and some schools right. went back into the building. So it wasn't fair to, to basically have state testing. And I would have to say that I agree with that. Yeah. I, I definitely would have to say that I agree with that. Ron, thanks for that comment. And um, you should call in 234 Shout out to Ron, y'all. That's my husband. Okay. Uh, <laughs> how's, how's it going, Ron, the husband? <laughs> so you, you definitely... So I understand why you're watching. He's supporting Ron. So I appreciate the comment, man. <laughs> Don't do that. No, you don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> so, yeah. 
so so now I'm I'm gonna go to you, Shayna, with the last uh question that I just asked Queen. You know, um what what do you think what do you think that that we can do uh as far as from your your seat as in the um organization that you're a part of uh to assist people that question, you know, and have questions about the perceptions of African American students? Um, I think a lot of times, a lot of the work that we do here at the center with districts themselves, like, so we're talking about people in the space and in the actual classrooms, we do do training. So we do culturally relevant pedagogy trainings. Um, we do, uh, some DEI trainings just to, for people can understand number one, your perception is based and rooted in your own bias and your own identity. Like that's, that's where it all starts. So you have to do the work with yourself first in order to change this perception of our students, um, we know just in the world period, right? Like America is a racist society um, and education, American education as it stands, like reinforces that um, and indoctrinates us in this culture to see our young people, our black people as, as bad or inferior, right? This is how we're taught. This is how it's ingrained in the system. That's why racism is systemic, right? Mm-hmm. So a lot of that um, is what's going on. But for us, we do a lot of training to help folks to really see their own bias, um, to see their own identity, how it's rooted in the history and the story of oppression um, and their own privilege. Um, because sometimes we talk about this a lot, all kinfolk, um, all skinfolk ain't kinfolk. So a lot of times, even us as black people sitting in privileged places has have to do the work um, to really see ourselves as a part of the problem when it comes to perception and oppression of our young people. I think a lot of times we treat our young people like, like they have something to prove to us. And at the end of the day, it's our job to be teaching them and setting the standard for them um, and raising the bar. And I bet you, you raise the bar and you support people, young people in the right way. They will rise to the occasion every single time, yeah. every single time. Um, but I think our organization is focusing a lot on um, training. Um, our professional learning team um, does training and does contracting with different orgs, different districts throughout the city. Um, excuse me, throughout the um, the nation to be able to help. So that is not tailored to, because I talked earlier about um, our RFP that will be coming out for our specific programs, mm-hmm. but our professional learning team has contracts right now nationwide in different cities. So if folks are interested in getting their staff trained, you can reach out to the Center for Black Educator Development for that. Yep, yep. And I, I do have some friends who are administrators, who are principals, and things like that. So I, I definitely will send you guys information out to them to see if, if uh, they will be able to utilize you guys' service and, and get you here in Cleveland. You know, so um, Quita, Shana kind of touched on it already. So uh, how can um, you as a teacher uh, be of any type of help and helping people comprehend issues of bias and oppression. Using my voice. Mm-hmm. Um, if I'm if if I'm in the classroom or in the school, and I never tell anybody what it's like or what's going on, mm-hmm. they'll never know. Right, right. But I'm I'm right there on the front line, and as long as I use my voice and teach the children. Or and teach them about what's going on or what's been going on because I teach social studies. Mm-hmm. 
what's been going on mm-hmm. in, 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 in the country, then I'm doing my part. And if I go out, and like you said, tomorrow is time to vote. Mm-hmm. If I don't go out and, and cast my ballot, then I'm not telling anybody anything. Right. You know, So as long as I use my voice to keep the needs of our children, the, the, the growth in our communities or what we need to grow or what our children need to grow, as long as I use my voice and, and put the word out there, I'm doing my part. Mm-hmm. I'm doing my part. Okay. Okay. So, you know, this this question, let me throw this one on you. You guys, I know we're, we're uh, closing down to the end here, but let me throw this question on you two ladies. The, the pandemic is, is very tough and we're, we're witnessing mandates and all over the place. But I know here in Ohio, we have mandates as far as um, kids having to, to, to wear masks throughout the day. And then we have some people fighting against that, you know, saying that let them let them make the decision instead of the, 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 uh, the school making a decision to have kids wearing a mask. Because everybody, let's just be honest, everybody doesn't believe in, in what's going on as far as the pandemic is concerned. Everybody do, don't believe that masks are needed and things like that. You know, so I, I, what I want to know is tell me what, what you feel, Shana. Tell me what you feel about these situations of these mandates with these masks and things for the students in school. Those masks are driving me crazy. <laughs> let's just say that first. Okay. Um I think that I, th- I honestly at this point, I thought about this earlier today before I even talked to you guys, that at this point, I really think it should be up to the student and parent mm-hmm. because they're not wearing them mm-hmm. all day. Part of my all day, I'm handing out masks or I'm telling people to pull your mask up, pull mm-hmm. your mask up. And these kids are sitting right next to each other. They they running and playing in gym. They're running and playing in recess. They're sitting at lunch together. Right. So, what are they are they are the masks doing what they're supposed to be doing? Right. Um, so at this point, it is it really is kind of uh, I think it should be to a point of it's up to the student and the parent to wear the mask because yeah. I mean it's just becoming a headache at school. Yeah, I'm, I I know some people. I know some people do think that and feel that way. They feel that uh, uh, masks are a waste. But then also I, I understand too that there are a lot of people who do believe that masks should be worn. You right. know? And yeah. I, I'm one of the ones who think that masks should be worn, you know, in school. So so like I, like we were just saying, Shana, tell me what do you feel uh, as far as these mandates and and. and about all these schools having students wear masks. If you don't have a mask, if you don't want to wear masks, you can't attend. What do you feel about that? I feel like it's a touchy subject. Um, and the reason why I say that is because, you know, it's hard to be telling people what they need to be doing with their kids. Um, that's one. But the second part of that is that there is science um, that, that feeds into this thing. And we're trying to keep people safe and we're trying to keep people alive. And I think one of the main things that black folks have to focus on is that we are the most vulnerable in terms of this disease. Um, Our communities are extremely vulnerable. So when you're talking about health and safety, um, you got to do your research um, in terms of what's going to be best for you and what's going to be best for your child. 
The other thing that I want folks to realize and think about too, though, when we're talking about mask mandates and even the vaccine, and I'm not even going to get into the vaccine because I also think that that is a choice situation as well. But your kid has to prove have provide has to provide proof of vaccination anyway, right? Before they go to school, right? There's not that's not anything new um, that's happening. There's a new vaccine that's out, but all of that is for safety. And I don't know if folks remember, but mm, maybe it's a couple of years ago when that whole little measles outbreak happened way in uh, in California um, at Disneyland because the folks who are not vaxxers, the measles got reintroduced to the world. None of their kids were vaccinated, and that thing was spreading like wildfire wildfire because it's science like it happens diseases are real they are out there they do spread um COVID-19 is a very deadly disease for some of our folks so we just have to be careful and take that all into account but I feel weird telling a parent like what to do with their kid now what I do think is like there are other there's another alternative approach like it is public education meaning you don't want your child to wear a mask we can't allow your child to endanger other students, so they, they can't come here. We can offer all alternative education routes for folks. We can do that, but it is a matter of public health. It is a matter of public safety, and I think that COVID-19 has been way too politicized when we have too many people's lives hanging in the balance for it to become a political issue. Definitely for it, for it to become a bipartisan issue, meaning like whether it's, if you're a Democrat, you believe in masks. If you're a Republican, you don't. No, like we want to stay alive no matter what party you identify with. These are people's lives hanging in the balance, but it has been so politicized that it has turned into a, a serious political issue with mandates and everything else. Instead of really focusing on the science behind it all, getting people educated and getting people more comfortable, whether it's being vaccinated or wearing a mask. All right. But it's tricky when you try to tell somebody about their kids, um, <laughs> what to do with their child. Yeah, Ron, and you know, Ron just said... Uh, he just said that's another battle, battle that teachers have to deal with, you know, with the students. And I was thinking the same thing when you said you have to pass out masks all day and keep telling them to put their mask on. You know, and like I said, as a former educator, I know one of the things I was always saying is stop talking, you know, when I'm lecturing or sit down. I know that was draining to have to keep doing that. It's so now bad. you add the mask to that, Pull your mask you know, <laughs> that's, your mask a, that's another thing, you know, but. Um, I agree with you, Shana. It's definitely a choice. Um, but I do wish that people would understand that it is something that they are trying to keep our kids safe with. That's not to say that the masks are 100 percent effective as far as preventing the virus or anything like that. However, if you do wear if everybody has on a mask, you're, you're protecting yourself from spreading it to, to somebody else if you have on a, a mask. So that means if you're protecting yourself from spreading it, then it's hard for you to get, you know what I mean? So if we continue to do that and continue to make sure that we encourage that, I know it is a choice. It is absolutely a choice. But this whole situation about th this pandemic, especially with, in, in the schools with these mandates and stuff, is not about the individual student. And I get what the parents are saying. Yeah. You know, let 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 us make the choice. I understand that, but it's not about it's about everybody else around you. You know what I'm saying? Because the fact that it's contagious and it can spread, so it's about everybody else. It's not a isolated virus that is only within you or something like that. No, you can get it, uh, pass it on to somebody else, and you can get it multiple times. You know, so and the severity with this is that it's deadly. 
right? Like, yes, kids have germs. I think that what raises this in more severity is is deadly, how deadly it is and how contagious it can be. Because the flu been happening every season, child. Like, we've been out here sneezing, coughing, flu just been everywhere, right? But COVID is way uh, more deadly and more serious. Um, And I said this when they reopened schools. People are not going to really take this seriously until kids start dying. Mm-hmm. And we we would hate for that to be the case of the cause or the tragedy that happens behind us. We don't want to buy babies dying. Nope. Uh, but people will become more serious about this and stop all this infighting about all of this uh, when we have kids that become part of the, the millions of casualties that have already happened due to COVID-19. I agree. And I would hate for that um, to, to, be, to be the case. Yeah, I completely agree. You know, well, that's our time. I really enjoyed this conversation with you ladies. Um, uh, a lot of insight from both of you all about what needs to be done, you know, to, to help our students, to help our educators and things like that. So it's much appreciated. Shana, give us that information for your, your podcast and everything so people can check you out. Every Thursday, um, live at 12. But what I will say is that this Thursday, we actually have a special show. We have Dr. Goldie Muhammad joining us this Thursday. Um, so we'll actually be broadcasting live on Citizens Ed TV, which we're live on Facebook as well as YouTube. Um, but we'll be going live this Thursday at 1. But every other Thursday is live 12 o'clock. It's called Building the Black Educator Pipeline. Um, okay. So again, you could check us out. All right. I like that. Any uh, last last words that you have? Just, just you mm-hmm. know, give the teachers what they need. Give us the support. Um, and we'll come around. It's going to come around. It, this is going to, it's going to, this, this too shall pass. Shall pass. That's right, Quita. Yes. <laughs> Don't uh, know when, but it will. <laughs> absolutely. All right. Again, um, to all you on GP podcast listeners, thank you for tuning in tonight, listening to this this education um, uh, discussion, you know, uh, with my uh, guest, Quita and my guest, Shana. I appreciate you ladies again. And next week's topic, we are going to be talking about bullying. I, I definitely can't wait for that uh, bullying amongst our our young people, I definitely think it is a crisis in our community, you know, for sure. And I think we need to take it um, seriously, you know, for sure. So I'll have some special guests on with that next week. So until then, peace. Bye, everybody. I'm so glad you came. No judgments here, we're all the same. Feels like shelter from the storm. So pick your feet up and just ride along. We've been here wrong.